You're listening to Called to Action, a School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific podcast. On season four, we touch on a subject that's very important and crucial to the mission of School Sisters of Notre Dame. We welcome you to join us on this journey as we educate ourselves and work towards a better world. Welcome back to another episode of Called to Action. Uh, We're coming back with episode three. We just did episode two last time talking about Catholic social teaching. Sister Anna Marie, how have you been since our last episode? It's good to be back with you, Adam. Yeah, our last episode with Sister Jan was really a good conversation about education, delving into the Catholic social teaching and how that relates and really is the basis as we talk about anti-racism. Um, so yeah, it was a good conversation. I hope that our audience enjoyed it. But it gave me a lot to think about in terms of what, what do we teach or what we don't teach which I think will be a good segue into our conversation with our guest today. I'd like to welcome Sister Addie Lorraine Walker, School Sister of Notre Dame. I'm really happy that you are joining us today. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So just uh, could you share a little bit about yourself with our audience? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a school sister of Notre Dame, as you have indicated. I've been a school sister for more than 40 years. And uh, I'm uh, in higher education right now. I'm teaching at a theological school in San Antonio, Texas. And I uh, am uh, the founder and director and soon to be in another position of the Sankofa Institute for African-American Pastoral Leadership. And that's an effort of educational outreach by the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. The missionary oblates looked around the table and saw who is not here that we really could serve. And African-American students from other denominations than Catholic were attending and have attended our school for many, many years. And yet we do nothing specific for them. And so they uh, ask, well, who can help us do something that really speaks more to African-Americans specifically and African-Americans theologically, the right relationships, meaning that and how do we build community uh, with Protestants, Catholics, African-Americans, Hispanics and others who might come to us. So they looked around and they uh, realized I had taught there at the time. However, I was uh, the provincial and I couldn't do that. They kept after me until I left being provincial. (laughs) It's not a returning, but it's a starting something new at Oblate School of Theology. We are now officially 10 years old, and we're celebrating our 10th anniversary throughout this year. I mean, it sounds like social justice has been a part of your life and your work for as long as you've been working. Uh, What I see myself as is a Christian, a radical follower of Jesus Christ. And because I am that, it means I work for right relationships right relationship with God, a right relationship with all creation, a right relationship with myself, and a right relationship with all the people of God throughout the world. I feel very connected to every population. And I, in fact, I think probably what produced me, I call myself Heinz 57 or 76, how many ever different flavors you want to have, because I come from many different cultures myself. And I know that I have uh, indigenous or Native uh, American roots. I know I have African roots. I know I, ha- I must have English roots with some name like Walker. 
And if you look at my family, you can tell we are very mixed nation. <laughs> Acts of violence and oppression and suppression, and it's just wrong for me. I I would be advocating for uh, us to educate in a different way that produces a different kind of community. But the other thing is, not only am I a radical follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm also a school sister of Notre Dame. And a school sister of Notre Dame must work for oneness. So I don't, in general, say I'm a social advocate or a social justice worker, because everything to me is about, it's my life, it's my spirituality, it's my vowed commitment, Everything in my life, all the decisions I make, I kind of process through a lens of discernment and acting justly. I, you know, I've known you for a number of years now and have had the privilege of walking with you and beside you as, as friend, but I also look to you as, as mentor. And I, I so appreciate as you speak about the integration of who we are as, as human beings, but who we are as school sisters of Notre Dame. Last week when Sister Jan was with us, she also talked about right relationship and talked about unity. And I'm like, should I be surprised? Because that is who we are as school sisters of Notre Dame, that we are always looking for that oneness for which Jesus Christ was sent. And, you know, and I and I guess that's the why the importance of the theme of this podcast is to talk about what separates us and what do we allow to separate us that, that really shouldn't. So could you just share a little bit about how you as an educator, especially in higher education in, in, this, in this topic and why it's so important and how we should be addressing it? Well, I, I think in our society, we're recognizing the um, hostilities and separateness. And so those places that are educators for a, a radical following of Jesus Christ are looking at uh, what are the barriers that block us from being a community that cares about one another. However, uh, educating, uh, even for our country, education originally started out trying to educate so that we had an informed populace, right? So they were educating for freedom because they had come from societies where oppression was real and and uh, forceful. And so they left European countries and came uh, here for freedom. And so it was an education for democracy. That's what we called it uh, originally. But I, I think the the problem that in higher ed that we're looking at now and in other levels of education is that maybe that wasn't so fully an education for democracy or for freedom because it excluded some people's stories. And whose stories in the early days were excluded or the indigenous people themselves, because it was even looked at as if there were no people here uh, in this continent. And so their story was ignored. And Africans who came here by force and not by choice as enslaved people, their stories or that their, their, their roots and their ancestors did not, in fact, uh, exist. And so their stories were excluded. And even the Irish, when they came here at first, their story was excluded. The attempt at first was to go for sameness and what was the best of our stories. And it was always white, Western, 
European. And so those stories were celebrated and the other stories were minimized or ignored. And uh, almost at every turn of the century in our educational system, educated so people would have a dominant American story. And so my story was never written in those books. So I never read stories about Black people at all. And we were taught that we wanted to acquire uh, and accept those stories as normative. And my story or the indigenous story or the Hispanic story as not normative. And we wanted to be normal Americans. All of the stories that were excluded imprisoned the white people as much as it did all the other people. And so we only learn a partial story, a partial history of the U.S. And so um, I uh, look at what is happening in our education today, and we are banning books because they're telling stories that we don't feel comfortable with. And I brought one book today that uh, <laughs> is one of my favorite books, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. In some uh, schools across the nation, they don't want to have that book. There's another book, The Black History, uh, The Unwhitewashed Story of America. That, of course, that's banned uh, because they don't want those stories as a part of the story. But if we tell the good, the bad, the ugly and the in-between, we it's all of our story. Uh, somebody told me, asked me one time, why don't you go back to your own country? I said, this is my country. <laughs> and my story is your story. Your story is my story. And so all the more reason that uh, we need to be a part of learning more stories, not banning stories, uh, but they're all of our stories. Everybody's story has some really great things to celebrate and everybody's story has something not to celebrate. We have banned books, and that is a process that's going through. I was having a conversation with one of my my brother-in-laws. He's an English teacher. And uh, by family, we have a book club. And so he proposed the next book. And we read the book, um, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. But it was interesting because he talked about the fact that, you know, when he started the first time he taught it and was presenting in his English class, when parents just saw the title, I'm Still Here, they didn't think anything about it. But once people saw the full title, they did. he did get backlash. In fact, actually, it went to the school board. He said probably the best thing was is they all read it. Thanks be to God, they did not see anything wrong with the book, and they felt that it'd be very good for the students. But what happens is we are all diminished when books are banned. And I just think that that so much of it becomes about censoring history. Uh, I noticed that Adam Googled banned books. Um, I did get fired up about this because when you were telling that story, I started Googling books. So we talked about critical race theory on the last episode. On this list I found on ACLUM, they give a link to the book and they also give a reason why it was banned. <laughs> it literally says as part of board efforts to stamp out critical race theory in schools. Critical race theory is not taught in schools because it's uh, taught in law school. And it's, <laughs> it's an approach to the law. 
and why the law, I mean, there's a book I love, uh, it's probably banned too, I, I, I don't know if I didn't see it on the list because uh, I only read about 10 deep in each list. Uh, it's called The Color of Law and how uh, the laws, many of the laws in across the country were developed and neighborhoods were developed to exclude. And so critical race theory is about that process. That's not taught in school. <laughs> but you see, people are reacting to something they don't fully understand. So they don't fully understand critical race theory at all. And if they did, they probably would have a more informed understanding of voting, of uh, how communities develop, of how money is allotted to schools, public schools in different parts of your city. And people have different resources or access to resources. And I think that's a, a big thing about banning books, access to resources, access to the story. And it, it is recognizing some of those stories, they're hard. And we have to face our own complicity in those stories. They're horrible. I mean, when you look at the enslavement of people, consequently afterwards, after supposedly freedom was gained, you know, then how was law applied, exactly as you're saying, Addie, to continue to oppress a people? And we have to face that if we're not, if we're going to be able to change that or not let that continue to happen into the future. But if we glorify the history or tell it from one vantage point, then we're, we're doing a disservice to our, to ourselves, our country, our people. You know, now we, we don't even want to talk about diversity. The last couple of decades, we talked about diversity and we highlighted the beauty of culture all the positive, but once we started going underneath the diversity and saying, why isn't there diversity? Or what causes the division, the separation, the racism? And when, once the conversations became difficult, then it was like, oh, no, we don't want to talk about diversity anymore. Which is sad. It like totally breaks the process of educating. But the banning book thing, I, I mean, I don't have kids. So I didn't know it was such a big problem, but the amount of things that are happening right now to control the telling of that history to young people, too, is appalling. But all of us suffer, really. All of us suffer if we uh, ban access to information. Teaching for community, teaching uh, a pedagogy of hope in a safe place, meaning I'm not afraid to hear your story, even if it is a painful story, because sometimes telling the story is part of the healing. So that building of trust, enough that we're safe enough to talk to one another in reverence and respect. We don't have to have the story to, to weaponize. And that's what it seems that we, we do with some of the, well, if that story is true, then that means white people are bad. No, no. It means we were in error at once by excluding the story, by excluding the acknowledgement uh, and access to health care and education. That was wrong. We have corrected that in this space and this time. And so owning and claiming, but if you don't know the story and the black children don't know the story either. So, you know, somebody said, well, Addie, why don't uh, you uh, tell this story? I said, well, I don't know it. I had to research it for my dissertation. Now, that that's a long while uh, without knowing the story. Right. 
But now people expect black people to know the story. But when they went to the same schools with white people, with the same books, they didn't have any black people or native people in it other than in negative light. But so uh, as we look at this whole topic of banned books, because people need to tell their story and not necessarily have you valueize it, put this value or that value. This is a better story than your story. No, it's a story that belongs to all of us. Uh, the fact that we grew up in this same country and we don't know each other's story is a sadness that I think we can correct. I just went to see The Color Purple at the movies uh, recently. Now, I saw it a 100 years ago when it was uh, first released. I read the book. The thing that I appreciated about the retelling of that story in this new uh, format, it really gives you a sense what the life of Black people as a result of having been enslaved, so many of the things that they carry that cross generational trauma that somehow we need to be attentive to. How can The Color Purple be a movie and not banned, but the books banned in some schools? That's like even more ridiculous to me saying that somebody out there is saying, no, I don't want this book read out loud. But in this day and age on the internet, your kid can Google it. So for my classes, they all have to read a banned book. And so they have to read something that they would never have done before with the hope that in their ministry that they will include other stories. It's really an opportunity for us to share many different stories. We start with Native uh, Indigenous faith and traditions and move forward from there. You know, it's, uh, I was thinking, you know, we, we celebrate um, Black History Month. We have to do it because we don't tell the full history. So we get white European history all the time. But at the same time, thank goodness we do have these designated months for those of us who it might motivate us to read something, to watch something. I think many schools have taken it as a serious time to tell another aspect of the story. It's sad that it has to be separated but it also gives us an opportunity. So whether uh, you're adding a banned book to that reading or to that list, I think it's a great opportunity to expand our own education. I think it's a good uh, opportunity for white people to uh, really take some leadership. And uh, to your point, I kind of felt like I was lost before coming into this season on how to really know what's behind the topic, not just what the topic is. I urge people, you know, don't Google like a recipe, Google a banned book because Missouri, especially Missouri, we're number three. We're number three. We've banned, uh, we banned 30, 333 books last year. And I think I've, I've read a stat. They found that over time, there's been 6,000 instances of banned books, but during 2022 and 2023, there were 3,362 banned. That's in one year. I could go to a school board meeting. I never think about it because I don't have kids, but that's where this stuff gets discussed and gets decided. I just hope they read all those books. When I think of the school board uh, where my brother-in-law lives, that they've read the book. <laughs> so I hope they read all those books that they're banning to make sure that they had a reason to do it. But I kind of doubt it. But mostly it, it's uh, been found that they don't. And mostly 
there, there's a, a core group of about 11 people across the country that are doing this process of banning books. And you think, 11 people? But I, I think it's fear. It's fear of knowing another story. There's more to learn than fear. There's a lot more to learn about ourselves and about one another. And so your story becomes my story and mine yours. And so I think that's a a pathway for hope. And I think it's a, a pathway of compassion by knowing someone else's story. It stretches my heart and my compassion especially for the stories that that are hard. Um, But it also gives me opportunity for celebration. And I think that goes with your your call to hope, um, that we can celebrate, too, the the wonderful things that happen in people's lives, the transformation that takes place. I think as our awareness grows, and I think awareness, I I think it was uh, Anthony DeMello, awareness, awareness, awareness. As our awareness grows, then our appreciation can grow and that we can recognize that we can walk together. If our awareness can grow, we can catch ourselves, right? We can catch ourselves without being fearful. Oh, Addie, this has been a wonderful conversation and we're so grateful to have had you with us to just keep broadening our perspective um, and looking at, you know, as, as educators, what can we do? And as individuals, as part of this beautiful, extraordinary human race, that uh, how can we love one another and appreciate one another, but we need to know each other's story. So thank you for sharing with us. Addie, in each of our um, sessions, we, we end with a prayer. Um, we have much to pray about, whether it's in petition or in gratitude. So um, we'd like to invite you to close this uh, session with a prayer. So we pray, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who has brought us thus far on our way, let us into the light. Keep us, keep us forever on the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray, O God, from the places where we've met Thee, shadowed beneath Thy hand, may we forever stand true to You, our God, and true to this, our land. Amen. Thank you for listening to Call to Action. We invite you to join us every other Wednesday for a new episode. You can listen to Call to Action on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and by visiting ssndcp.org forward slash call to action. To stay up to date with what's new with the School Sisters, please follow the School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific Province on Facebook. We thank you for your support and listening to Call to Action.